You're listening to episode 93 of the Mud Stories podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are never, ever alone. Welcome to the Mud Stories Podcast. I'm so glad you're with me today, and I have a special treat for you. I have been looking forward to talking to our guests today for quite some time, and I just know they're going to be such a blessing for whatever mud you're facing today. Jay and Catherine Wolf are here, and in April of 2008, Catherine suffered a massive brainstem stroke, was rushed into microbrain surgery where a neurosurgeon told Jay, I need you to know there's a good chance she may not survive. But as the sun rose the next morning, Catherine had survived, and that's when the hard part began. They write about their seven-year story in their new book, Hope Heals, a true story of overwhelming loss and an overcoming love. Jay and Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you. We're so glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Well, I am looking forward and have been looking forward to talking to you for quite some time. And yet, before we dive into your story, which I want to get to for the majority of our time, because there's so much to to talk about. But I have to know up front something lighthearted about each of you. So I'm wondering, I know, Catherine, you love chocolate. Uh, You have a Periscope show called Chocolate cat chat, uh, which is delightful. But I'd love it if each of you would share something that you just really love. Maybe if there was a day where you had nothing to do, what would be your most favorite thing to do or just something that brings you immense joy in life, something lighthearted and fun? Oh, goodness. Well, yeah, chocolate would be at the top of that list, eating <laughs> loads of chocolate, definitely. But in a day where I had nothing to do, something that brings me joy is writing cards, which is so funny because so many people hate note writing. But I really, really love it and always have. And it's so interesting that when my right hand no longer worked I lost all fine motor coordination after my stroke so I I wondered if I would ever write notes again but I've learned to write with my left hand and in so doing been able to write um very powerful notes that people aren't going to forget because it's you know kind of chicken scratch looking and (laughs) Just uh, funny, and I write really big now, and it's different, but in some ways it means more to get a card for me, so mm-hmm. I'm still cranking out notes like crazy, even though um, the penmanship is different on them. <laughs> I love that. Note card writing is, is sort of a lost art in today's email texting age, so exactly, so exactly. special. So, I'm bringing it back. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What about you, Jay? Oh, that's a hard question, actually. I, uh, I don't know. I think going somewhere in L.A. that we um, love, I'm thinking of the Getty Museum as just one of our favorite spots mm. just to kind mm. of, you know, it's, <laughs> this shows how cultured we are, but sometimes we don't even go inside the museum. We just hang out on the grounds and, um, you know, just 
to breathe in and to take in beauty and to sort of just be, you know, yeah. in the in the rhythms of being a caregiver and dad and, um, you know, just in the rhythms of life in a bit busy city, those moments yeah. to just carve out a little space, um, have a great meal. Um, we'll talk about later part of Catherine's um, post-stroke recovery involved learning to swallow again. So she didn't eat for almost a year. And so there's a certain uh, celebration every time we break bread, yeah. whether it's the most mundane thing or like a big celebratory thing, um, you know, any kind of celebration around food or great restaurants is also just something that we have a special place in our hearts for. Well, it's interesting you bring up the Getty Museum because uh, my freshman year of college, you might not know, I attended Pepperdine University straight out of high school. But um, yeah, the Pepperdine campus, I know, Jay, you um, are an alum of the law school there. Mm -hmm. But uh, Pepperdine, when I read that in your story, it was special to me when I saw that because I spent a year of my life at Pepperdine, a very formative year. You know, you get dropped off at college. It's kind of a new experience, drove PCH lots of times and have visited the, the Jay Getty Museum. And I know exactly what you're talking about, about the serenity in that place. Oh, yeah. So I'm like anything else. Oh, that's cool, though. I didn't know you went to Pepperdine. Oh, yeah, I did. And then I heard the Azusa Pacific University Choir and Orchestra, which back in the early 90s was the big deal uh-huh. and uh, transferred there. And so I'm a graduate of Azusa Pacific. But that's awesome. Both awesome. are wonderful. Awesome we love them both. Thank yeah. you. Yes, me too. Well, when we consider talking about your story, I know I've heard you both express that sometimes hearing hard stories is hard for a lot of us because it brings up those things in us that are those hard places that sometimes we tend to choose denial or we tend to just set it aside and go on living life. But it's the deep valleys are places where we really can choose to connect with God in deep and profound ways if we choose to lean into the pain that's there. And I know there's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 4, Catherine, that you've um, quoted many times and have actually used to lead us to understand that your story is really all of our stories. Um, Yes, totally. And that just because we're going to hear your story of profound tragedy and loss today doesn't mean that there's no parallel to what some of us may be living on the inside and just not having the luxury of someone noticing and caring for our souls in deep and profound ways. So I would love if you would start your story today by sharing that passage and helping us understand how this is for us too. Absolutely. I love the truth of 2 Corinthians 4, 6, 7, and 8 that says we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. And what I'm living out in my physical body and in my disabled frame, largely in a wheelchair, is actually what we are all living out. And Jay and I, both in our marriage, are living out just a picture of what everyone is actually facing on the inside. And whether 
the issues that you might have or anyone else might have are showcased, quote unquote, like mine are, there is a sense that we've all got brokenness and all have had pain of many forms and done things and had things done to us that's created wounds and shame and hard stuff that's complicated and I have much of that on the inside of my body and yet I've got a lot on the outside of my body and that creates this universality to our story that's very powerful. Yes, it is. You know, the gift of you having things on the outside makes you mindful and aware of it on an hourly, minute-by-minute basis. And yet some of us that are having all of that brokenness on the inside, we don't tend to care for our souls as deeply as maybe you're required to care for your body, right? Right, exactly. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. So take us back to where you met. I know you met at a Christian campus in the southeast of the United States. Tell us what life was like before everything changed in April of 2008. So yeah, we met in the south. We're both from Uh, the deep south. And I'm from Alabama. Catherine's from Georgia. And we met in a college called Samford, kind of a a Pepperdine-esque liberal arts Christian school. We met our freshman year and and sort of were best friends and and dated and then broke up 10 times. And, um, (laughs) you know, it's kind of one of those, I think people sort of view us as having this, you know, on a pedestal kind of relationship now and maybe even superimpose that on who we were then. But, you know, we've had to this day, I mean, we, God's taken us through by his grace, but there's just a lot of stress and a lot of strain and we're Mm -hmm. both type A firstborn people. And so that makes for (laughs) some unique challenges. So anyway, all I have to say, we can relate to, um, every struggle within relationship and marriage. Um, and, uh, God sort of finally brought us together, sort of pulled us to the middle ground. I was kind of more on the rebellious end. I'm a pastor's kid and Catherine was sort of more on the legalist side of things. And so I think really God brought us back to himself through each other. And uh, we decided to get married. We got married. We moved to LA. I was going to be at law school um, at Pepperdine and Catherine was in the entertainment industry. She had been doing some commercial print modeling and um, yeah, we were just having this really sweet idyllic time of life, you know, new marriage. We had gotten really plugged into this church, Bel Air Prez, where we go to this day still. And, um, you know, we're just really doing life together with uh, in Christian community in a way we never had before. And um, so we unexpectedly got pregnant with our son, James, in uh, the fall of 2007. <laughs> I'm, I was in my third year of law school. You know, we had we were really going to wait till we were 30. That was our, you know, uh, five-year special, five-year plan of our life that we were going to control. And yeah. we had all the, you know, your, these, your type kids. A list. Yeah, yeah, we had our list. Mm-hmm. And of course, we were 25. So we didn't do something right, clearly. <laughs> And um, yet it was God's timing. Again, looking back, just that James mm-hmm. would be born um, that fall. And then six months later, everything would change in our lives. Catherine, what was the morning of April 21st like for you? It was totally normal. Nothing out of the ordinary. I'd had, um, you know, just some funky feelings and fog-like symptoms But, I mean, I had a new baby at home, so that wasn't remotely unusual to feel weird. And 
I um I thought maybe I was pregnant again even because I'd felt that kind of feeling before and I got a pregnancy test and wasn't and um yeah all in all it was just a totally normal day and, and then suddenly I um was cooking a meal in my kitchen and I fell to my hands and knees now miraculously Jay had actually come home to finish a paper for his final class in law school. So he happened, quote-unquote, to be there um, when I called out for help. I needed him to call 911, and um, I, I am on the floor, and the paramedics quickly come and put me on a stretcher and wheel me out of that apartment, which had been our first home, only home that we bought our son to. And sadly, I would never actually see that apartment again because we would have to move because mm -hmm. the ordeal would be so long and dramatic. And strangely, in that moment, I thought we'd maybe spend a night at the hospital. I just had no concept this could be anything serious. I thought mm -hmm. at most I had food poisoning or something, and I just had no clue that it would be two months before I was even able to wake up in a way. I was awake, but I um, have no memory for two months. Mm -hmm. And my final thought as I was leaving that apartment and losing consciousness is very sad and very um, profound, a memory. And I am hoping I've arrived at not making that same sad, disturbing thought pattern, um, something I, I deal with daily, but at most I don't, truthfully. However, I remember my final thought was, what will the neighbors think? And that was hmm. the overarching thought when I was about to die was, what will the neighbors think of me? I'm such a drama queen and I cause so many problems. I'm just always too much hmm. in life. And hmm. that has been profoundly sad to reflect on subsequently that that was my final thought before potentially dying was was being concerned with people who weren't even there, who don't even matter, quote-unquote. I mean, they matter right. made in God's image. But these are my close personal friends, and I'm concerned with their feelings and views of me. And that's really something I feel very called, um, especially among women, just to really cry out to live differently and not live afraid of what other people will think of you. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's a total digression to this story. I feel, <laughs> I feel pretty strongly about it. I don't think it was a coincidence that that was my final thought. Well, there's a day for each and every one of us where there's the possibility that everything as we know it could change. Right. And that's the benefit of the perspective that you are able to see now God in his graciousness through suffering has shifted your perspective and yes. your admonition to us would be, let's not all wait. Let's not require the suffering or tragedy to have to transform our mindset in that area. Oh, I, think I am so with you. I wish we could talk for 10 hours about this <laughs> because you're exactly right. Until I had to, there was never a need before, even as a Christian woman, 
to redefine the areas of my life that mm -hmm. no longer made sense with words I had already assigned to uh, to concepts that were wrong. Essentially, I I learned wrong as we all have. Mm -hmm. What things even begin to mean in our world, and you have to relearn correctly ideas that you've understood all wrong your whole life and I I don't feel like I've been delivered and really took hold of that admission admission admonition completely <laughs> however I maybe have got a taste of it and really love the freedom that redefining words accurately in the kingdom of God actually means and how things like beauty and loss and remembrance and waiting and all kinds of words mean very different things in the kingdom of God. And perhaps it takes a near-death experience to start to redefine those words accurately. Well, what I love is that um, you're giving us a gift of your perspective by sharing with all of us, the mindset shift that you've made, and perhaps maybe just a little hint, maybe this should be your next book. Uh, I'm just saying. I'm just well, saying. we've heard that before. <laughs> I think it's a needed message, Catherine, and it's a unique perspective that you bring to offer to speak to the issue, and it's something that that we we do. And awareness, I think, is half of the battle to be aware that we need a mindset shift, right? Right, absolutely. And and so. Jay, that that day, you know, you arrive at UCLA and you were met by a neurosurgeon by the name of Dr. Nestor Gonzalez. Can you tell us what his words were to you that day? Yeah, as you sort of said in the intro, there was this um, head spinning moment of, you know, a normal day in the life. And then you find yourself in the hospital ER waiting mm -hmm. room encountering um that life, as you know, it won't ever be the same. <laughs> as, Which I'm uh, guessing you weren't an expert at hospital things. No, I mean, you were. No, <laughs> no, 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 new no, to you. no. Yeah. I mean, it's what's it, what's really, um, I think, reflective of our greater culture. You know, I I didn't know what a stroke was. Frankly, I, I knew right. you know, maybe somebody's grandmother who had had one. That kind of a thing, I could hardly tell you. Though, I mean, I was mm -hmm. in law school. I'm not inarticulate or uh, unaware, <laughs> but like that, you know, for what it wasn't your knowledge area. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, also at a subconscious level, we want to disassociate from the things that we know could disrupt right. our lives forever that remind right. us of our fragility and our mortality. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, in that moment, the doctor said, uh, Catherine is having a massive brain stem stroke. It's caused by rare, uh, congenital defect. So she's had this since birth, but you know, there was no symptoms. There was no warning. We had no idea. It's where the arteries and the veins like form like a like a yeah. spider web kind exactly. of thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Instead mm -hmm. of having a capillary that slows down the blood flow from the artery into the vein, there is no capillary basically. So mm -hmm. you're having this, you know, uh, malformation that eventually is just going to to give way and rupture. It's, it's fragile kind of like and a ruptures, time bomb. Yeah. 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 And so. Um, well, and then the bleeding, I'll just have a sidebar explanation because, yeah. you yeah. know, maybe there's a lot of people listening who don't know and I just happen to be a nurse. Yeah. So I'll just, you know, as a caveat, I will say, you know, the bleeding that um, basically it ruptures. And mm -hmm. so there's some bleeding that continues to ooze out and put pressure on parts of the right. brain. Yeah. And in the area where Catherine's was, it was near the brainstem, which is yeah. the critical place that controls our breathing and our temperature and all of those things. And so characteristically, when you have a 
pressure in that place, there's a very high incidence of death in that situation before they even have time to get in there and try to relieve the pressure. Exactly. Yeah. And, and he, he called it a herniation of the brain down mm-hmm. into her spinal column. So, you know, that's just something you don't survive when your brain is being squeezed out of where it's supposed to be. Right. Um, Anyway, the AVM, too, was the largest he had ever seen. Uh, mm-hmm. It had four aneurysms on top of it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it was in the worst location. There was just this litany of just this is the worst Not case good. scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you need to have uh, an expectation that's realistic and realize she may not make it through the day. I mean, even if we, we may not even be able to attempt surgery, you know, it was a realization that mm-hmm. medicine is not practiced in a vacuum. <laughs> you know, we mm-hmm. think of doctors uh, in the medical profession as, um, sort of the American aristocracy or some, you know, just like miracle yeah. workers. And, and they are conduits of that in so many ways. And yet they're humans just trying to take their expertise and solve problems. And yet, you know, then you have insurance companies, you have hospitals, you have, um, you know, all these external things that all of a sudden that plays heavily into these life and death decisions. And yet God, I think, uh, through the Holy Spirit just spoke into Dr. Mm-hmm. Gonzalez in this moment. He Absolutely. went back to his office and said, um, you should give this mom a chance, you know? And um, anyway, so he took her to surgery at that point. I thought it was interesting that I've heard him share that he really had prepared to come talk to you and say there was nothing he could do. Yeah. Yeah, And yet, seeing the look in your eyes, you know, this is such a hard thing as caregivers, and I'll say as a nurse, sometimes we make some critical decisions that can radically change the outcome of situations, and it's a really heavy responsibility to carry. Um, And yet, Dr. Gonzalez says and has expressed, even as your book was released, that something told him, how could I deny you, Jay, and James, the hope of a mom and wife possibly surviving. Yeah. So I think it, God used him in such a profound way for him to say yes when all odds were in his medical mind. I shouldn't try. Yeah, even, I mean, somebody told him I was an attorney, so that's like a scary thing right? for a doctor here. Yeah, we don't, we don't like that. <laughs> we really don't that's like true. that. Because <laughs> no, you're putting yourself on the line in, in every way when you take on any patient, especially one that, you know, you know the outcomes are not likely going to be good. And so, right. you know, he could lose his practice. Anyway, it was, it was yeah. a God thing for him. A- anyway, I just wanted yeah. to mention that about him. It's just yeah. incredible. God blessed you with him. Oh. Well, oh, no joke. And I might add, he just came to our book release party back in L.A. in the in the spring. We have a YouTube <sighs> video. You should watch it. Yes. I want all of them to watch it because oh, I think so it's, I'm going to link to it. It's so powerful how he shares. And I I'm not sure if he was a person of faith, but I'm thinking he might be now. We've been working on him for yeah, a long time. Yeah, we've been so. working on him. We, we don't know. But, He's an amazing um, person, but he... um. Yeah, he was. He listened to the Holy Spirit in that moment. Is mm-hmm. sure. boils down to sure. and, beautiful. Um, anyway, he took took Catherine to surgery. It was going to be maybe eight hours. I think they had eight different anesthesiologists over the time uh. period. They replaced Catherine's full blood volume of her body five times. And they used mm-hmm. like you know a tenth of the blood used in the entire UCLA Medical Center that mm. day, and um, on and on. There was just it was a, a, a monumental surgery done at this microscopic level and they removed part of her cerebellum over half of it and 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 had to sacrifice a lot of the nerves coming from the brain stem the intracranial nerves that help mm-hmm. you know with your mm-hmm. sight and your swallow your hearing and all the these major functions even had to scrape the brain stem so you know they effectively um 
16 hours later, they were done with this surgery. And, um, you know, I had been in the waiting room. My, my church community had just flooded over me and gathered with me in that place all night, pretty much. And, you know, there was this really simultaneous to the surgery happening, this profound um, experience of worship and church, unlike any I had mm. ever known. I mean, just in the moment of suffering, when everything else is falling away, to to find God in the midst of it with us, and and in the heartbreak too, to find this overflow of praise and worship, and just like Job and like Paul, you know, just all these yeah. you know uh, passages we actually opened that night, um, including Romans eight. There was this sense, you know, I, either I've got to stake everything on the truth and reality of this promise of Scripture that mm-hmm. you know God is working these things for good. I mean, that seems impossible, you know, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't feel very loved right now. And yet, again, that paradigm shift to say in the kingdom, maybe we're redefining these things differently. Maybe there is something about, Mm -hmm. you know, the things that we can't see and the God that we can't fully wrap our minds around and and falling into this trust and love relationship, you know, in the midst of the suffering to find God with us there, I mean, is the is the most profound experience of worship that we can have, not just in sort of the absence of pain, but right in the middle of it, to find a heart of gratitude and worship and praise um, changes how we view everything. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think the opportunity that we all have to, to cling to those promises, mm-hmm. you know, again, when they don't make sense, when they seem like a lie, when it seems so impossible that God could be working all things for good or that we couldn't ever be separated from his love. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was, a, it was a game changer for me and a shift of my entire perspective, my experience of faith in that moment. Yeah. And I would need that because, you know, this was just the beginning really of everything. <laughs> Well, it was it was a surrender, is what I'm hearing yeah. you say. It was yeah. a surrender. Absolutely. Um, so Catherine lived. Yeah. Doctor Gonzalez came and told you she survived. Right, and that was, um, you know, for some reason, um, he said also with that, you know, the the odds are low that she's going to wake up. You know, she might be paralyzed. She might be locked in. Like there, we don't know, but she's mm-hmm. she's alive. And again, for some reason, there there was this spark of hope in me. Um, you know, it's like, okay, God spared her life for a reason. And so now we just need to get her well again and give her new life. And I, I need to advocate and be with her along the way. And that was just in that moment, it was very clear on what needed to be done. And uh, what's kind of neat, again, as a nurse, you'll recognize sort of the <laughs> the beauty and the uh, grace of this. But um, so Dr. Gonzalez said, look, she's probably gonna be in a medically induced coma for three or four days at least to give her brain some time to heal. And, um, which that includes medication. When you say medically induced, that means they're giving her medication to have her be calm, very calm and still. And, um, so that night, so it was about 12 hours after he finished surgery, he got a call frantically from the ICU nurses and, and he ran back up to, or he got a page, I guess. So he ran back up and he assumed that Catherine had died. And in fact, it was quite the opposite. She was responding to the nurse's commands. So when they say wiggle your toes, she was wiggling her toes. So she wasn't paralyzed and she was not brain dead. And, you know, she was lifting her fingers. And so, you know, it was like a medically induced coma. Not, they don't make them like they used to do, I guess, for <laughs> this one especially. She, uh, 
Well, our yeah. sweet extroverted Catherine, she yeah. was going to communicate if it was through her fingers or not. <laughs> be communicating. So, um, right. uh, you know, but in that moment, too, as we sat alongside so many other families in that ICU who mm-hmm. were waiting for their loved ones to wake up or to see if there was any brain activity or whatever, um, you know, it, it was not lost on me that it was such a gift. God mm-hmm. gave us that nudge so early on because despair, you know, in, in these medical crises, especially in brain related and trauma related, you know, you're just, you're standing on that precipice of despair constantly and it's a roller coaster ride. And so it, these little moments of, you know, these God winks or these, you know, just moments of revelation of God pulling back the curtain saying, I'm here, <laughs> like, don't mm-hmm. be afraid, you know, we're what we would cling to. Yep. And one of those was being in ICU, Catherine, 40 days exactly. 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 Yes. So when you woke up, when you, you know, what, what is your earliest memory? What you can remember? Was it in ICU waking no, up or was it, it in the acute rehab? It was in the acute rehab, which for those who don't speak medical, that was a different <laughs> part of the hospital than the ICU, which right. is where I stayed for 40 days on life support and then would transfer eventually to a different part of the hospital where I would stay for another two and a half months. And then I would go to a third brain rehab that was Casa Kalina that, that you reference and stay there for a year and a half. So in total, my ordeal was almost two years. Two years. So my, my earliest memory is what you'd asked. And They're all foggy because I was kind of coming to over a period of weeks, but I, um, I imagine my very first memories were seeing my baby who was Mm. brought in and out of the room and just a lot of confusion of, wait, what's going on? Where am I? Because of course, in my mind, yesterday, quote unquote, I've been taking care of my sweet baby, you know, breastfeeding him exclusively, playing on the beach with other law school mommies and friends and my friends at church. And so I I spent a very long time even wrapping my mind around what had happened. I couldn't really understand where I was, and over a period of many, many weeks, even several months, I fully woke up and began understanding that I had become severely disabled, could no longer eat, was on a tube to breathe, and really just started to understand how how miraculous it was that I had lived. Mm. And so that were th- that was things that were being explained to you that you could process, but you described that you were still the same person inside, like your cognition exactly. was not exactly. different. And that was a huge fear because, of course, I couldn't communicate, and yet I really wanted those around me to know that I was still fully Catherine on the inside of my body. And so I would type out on this letter board they'd given me over and over, I'm the same on the inside. (laughs) And I'd obsessively write that because I wanted them all to know that my cognition was still fully intact, although I could not communicate with them. So you were able to type on, I think I saw a picture of it in the book. If they get the book, they'll be able to see a picture of it. Yes. Um, you did they give that to you 
in ICU, Jay, when did they give, when was she able to start communicating? When do you remember her saying, I'm the same on the inside? Because I'm sure that was a big relief. Yeah. I in mean, a it, sense. It was interesting, you know, kind of like our, we have a one year old baby now. It's like you, you forget that they've mm-hmm. never talked to you with language. You know, there's just such a depth of nonverbal mm-hmm. that, and, and Catherine being as communicated communicative as she is, she would signal with her hand, her left hand was working and almost at hyper speed. <laughs> and so and her <laughs> facial expressions, even though half of her face was paralyzed, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing um, that she was, I mean, I, I feel like I knew she was the same on the inside mm. already. Um, her personality was shining through even in the earliest days when, you know, she was so, so, so on the brink of death still. Um, but then she started getting these external things that would help her communicate more. And, and, you know, the same token, they were frustrating because she had, she, to this day, and then has double vision. And so to try Mm -hmm. to peck out, you know, when all these things are racing and these questions of, wait, why did, why did God let this happen to me? Like what what happened to my baby? And like just Mm -hmm. a mile a minute and, you know, you're trying to peck out with one hand with double vision on this little board and see if it's, you know, sounds it out right. And, um, and yet again, to, to have her yearning for us to know that even though everything on the outside had changed in so many ways that she on the inside was mm-hmm. still the same was just sort of a heartbreaking and yet exciting, of course, revelation. Yeah. Again, you're, we're, we're not in a vacuum when we're experiencing this. We're with other family members of um, you know, people going through profound loss of their cognition, that, that they're not the same on the inside anymore in the brain rehab units. And, and it was just... Um, you know, it's one of the most tragic experiences to all be yearning for life in a new normal and yet to be confronted with, you know, the the painful reality that when you damage your brain, uh, things won't ever be the same. You know, you may gain in different ways, but um, it was a huge, huge gift for us to realize that Catherine, the, the location of her brain injury, as severe and horrible as it was, it did not affect her personality or emotion or cognition or Mm. memories and all of these things that really, if you had to choose, you know, you really would choose to keep those intact, even if it meant um, your body being damaged and uh, all these issues with your motor skills and everything like that. But um, yeah, that was, that was again, one of those moments of just grace of, you know, we're talking about millimeters of, 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 different areas of the brain that if it's just a little bit more in this region, it would have affected Mm -hmm. this. And it's just, you know, this is not by accident. (laughs) It's what it felt. And um, yeah. And for any of you listening, whatever you're walking through today is not by accident either. Right. And there is hope. And that's what you're here to share with us. Catherine, before we get to that great message of hope that I know you so beautifully talk about, I have to know what was life like when you went to Casa Kalina, because I have to tell you, I spent six months at Casa Kalina practicing rehab nursing when I was at school at Azusa Pacific University. Yeah, And so I took care of traumatic brain injury patients and stroke patients and spinal cord injury patients. So I know Casa Kalina, it was right in the backyard of Azusa Pacific. So um, I loved that you got to go there. Absolutely. And so many of my therapists were from that's crazy I really really got um just an understanding and really a, a desire to always champion Azusa Pacific because of all the incredible <laughs> therapists I knew who'd come from there 
Well, it's in our backyard, so we love Casa Kalina, and it's actually pretty world-renowned for rehab. Oh, I know. I know it is. We were so grateful again, God's hand, that we were right by UCLA and then right by Casa Kalina. I mean, it's just amazing I had access to those resources. Well, Catherine, I'd love it if you would share with us just a few of the details that you faced while you were there, because as Jay was describing, you were the same on the inside, and yet all these rapid-fire thoughts are going through your mind, and yet your left hand can only type out so many things so fast, and here you are in a new environment, and your peers now are different. They're not the same on the inside, the majority of them. They're radically changed, and yet there was so much work to do. Jay was able to be by your side each and every day, another miraculous gift. And um, I'd love it if you'd share with us just a little bit about what you faced at Casa Kalina. And then I want to ask, ask um, Jay another question. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was it was really hard early on in Casa Kalina, even though it was this wonderful place of tremendous healing for me. And I'm forever, forever grateful to them, and I loved it because, of course, it gave me my life back, so I'm very grateful. However, it was a super dark time because of the reality of brain injury. Almost everyone who was around me was really, really, really bad off, and Mm -hmm. it was difficult to engage in. I mean, there was very real death around me, three people from my therapy group actually died while I was there. And then there was another category of people who are really angry or depressed or really emotionally not okay at all. Mm -hmm. They feel like their lives have been totally ruined. And so that was really difficult as well. And then there's even people who are the opposite of me, where they may look fine on the outside, but they don't even know their name or their spouse's name, and they're um, they're just cognitively not with us. And it was really, really dark to engage so many different kinds of brokenness all around me and to try to get well in mm-hmm. that setting. It was very difficult. Yeah. And they weren't even your age at all, a lot of them. No, but most were much older than me. However, there were some through motorcycle wrecks, biking Mm -hmm. accidents, car wrecks, who were near my age. But yeah, I was for sure way on the young end. Absolutely. Jay, I would... I was so moved and touched by the way you, through the whole process, have advocated and honored Catherine in ways that um, even the medical personnel found remarkable. And so I, I just want you to know, by reading your story, we see the beauty of the love that you have for her. And it's just beautiful. And yet... I know moving to Casa Clean, it was super hard decision, the weight of all of these decisions on your shoulders at such a young age. Could you help those of us listening today who are walking through supporting someone that we love and maybe advocating for them in crisis or tragedy? It may not be a health-related thing, maybe a relational-related thing or a financial crisis or whatever, but most of us have someone we're trying to support, and yet 
when we're in tragedy with someone, we have our own personal loss as well. So when we're trying to support them in their weakness, and yet how do we not lose ourselves in our own grieving process, which we need to be healthy and walk through and process our own stuff too? Yeah. Can you speak to that for the people um, who who are with us, our friends? Well, thank you for, for that encouragement. I think, um, you know, it's it's really humbling to be in the position of caregiving and to be an advocate for somebody you love um, going through the worst moments of their life and seasons of their life. And um, again, for me, I didn't feel like it was a heroic choice. I just felt like um, this is what Catherine would do for me. <laughs> this is what I promised <laughs> to do for her. You know. Well, but Jay, we have to be real. You were putting lipstick on and you learned how to do hair and maybe yeah. you did, you know, personal hygiene things that you never, I mean. Oh, absolutely. I would probably want to be micromanaging how my husband blow dried my hair. It's like you didn't get it high enough on the top, you know. <laughs> no, and, and I, I don't want to romanticize that either. I mean, I think, um, you know, I I have struggles and um, self-focuses as much as everybody, you know. And again, yeah. you add the layers of um, caregiving. You add strong personalities. You add, mm-hmm. you know, not having a body for Catherine that didn't work. I mean, it, you know, we didn't just sort of calmly like – transcend all of that fray and, and, you know, go into some sort of sainthood, um, together. I mean, I was, it's quite the opposite, frankly. I mean, there was, a just so many moments again of grace for us to say, wow, mm-hmm. that was not in ourselves that mm-hmm. we did that. And I, I'm, I'm feeling so hurt right now and so, uh, defeated and frustrated and mad. And I want it to be focused at somebody. And so you're the one who I'm going to focus it on. And so I, I say all that to just say, you know, there has been a, um, a profound, again, shifting of the paradigm to say, um, I can acknowledge and grieve my losses. And again, there, there's plenty. Catherine wasn't the only one who lost uh, mm-hmm. many of her dreams for her future that day. And yet God has given me this sense of um, this holy burden, you know, for uh, entering into brokenness and pain of my wife's experience, just like he does for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, to give my life, to give my advocacy for Catherine in this season and that season and all the seasons I had um, as a sacrifice, as an offering of praise to God, you know, and it's to Catherine too, but ultimately <laughs> we want sort of a quid pro quo, you know, it's kind of like in, in relationships, mm-hmm. we so often, um, our baseline is just, okay, you're meeting my needs. So I want to meet your needs now. And and if mm-hmm. you're not meeting my needs and I really don't want to meet your needs. And so to shift the motivation behind coming alongside people in relationship, coming alongside our spouse, um, not just to whether they are, you know, doing what we hope they will do for us or they're recognizing our woundedness and caring for us, but simply doing it out of an overflow of what Christ has done for us. And, and, you know, that to me, that has been the biggest paradigm shift. I I love Catherine. Mm -hmm. I would do anything for her, but at the end of the day, if I'm doing it just for her and how she's meeting my needs, that that's going to run dry. (laughs) She's going to disappoint me. She's not going to be able to give me everything I need. And so to say, this is an offering God to you. um, And it's really hard. And yet, um, it's a precious offering because I'm choosing to give it to you. I'm not forced to give it, you know, um, I don't have to stay. <laughs> I mean, as much as I, mm-hmm. um, that's sort of such a tragic 
idea. I mean, so many people in, in stressful um, circumstances, whether it's the death of a child or disability or life change or financial ruin or whatever, you know, um, so many people just find it so much easier just to, just to leave. And mm-hmm. it, it breaks my heart because I think in the staying is really where we find how we can transcend <laughs> the storms. But in the, I would say in the staying, you have to really see the depravity of your own self, that selfish place, and yeah. you have to choose to move from that toward God and mm-hmm. and allow God to meet those needs. Oh, absolutely. Instead of the person you're in relationship with, right? Yeah. And that that's why I think people leave because that is scary and hard mm-hmm. and it cause it requires humility. And yet the joy that comes on the other side of choosing that choice. I mean, you look like you've made marriage look easy, I will um, say, but I think it's Jesus in you when, when you're both looking to Christ, Catherine, would you say that's true when Jay irritates you? I mean, absolutely. there's got, there's gotta be some kind of level of, well, I can't maybe make, I, I owe Jay so much that I have no right to, you know, do you struggle with that and, oh, totally. and conflict? And it's hard to be allowing to be receiving all the caregiving, right? Absolutely. It's very difficult, actually. It's a really hard position to be in as a care receiver because yeah. you mm-hmm. feel this level of indebtedness, but you're still the spouse of the person, so you really need to deal with issues, you're co-parenting. So it's not like, um, I had a stroke, we became totally angels and have no conflict ever. That's ridiculous. <laughs> We're strong-willed firstborns um, who are in a caregiving, caretaking relationship, and it's mm-hmm. constantly complicated to navigate, for sure. You know what, I, I think this could be encouraging to anybody who is staying right because even in the staying sometimes we stay in our bodies but not in our hearts um, right uh, i was Mm -hmm. struck really by the the prodigal son parable and the idea that you know the older son in that story stayed right he didn't run off he didn't take his inheritance and squander it and then have to come back um and receive that sort of walk of shame but you know that walk of grace too and yet um i think the older son had really left in his heart a long time before that, you know, there was a, a real sense of just almost resentment or just, um, he had checked out. It felt like in some ways, and that's reading a little bit into it. But I think what that, what I gleaned from that is sometimes we leave, you know, relationships, um, in a very physical and outward way, but it's not really any better if we stay bodily, but, um, are checked out or we that's escape right. in internally. And so that, to me, that's always my, my struggle. I mean, Catherine and I got married at 22, you know, there's just our, mm-hmm. our brains really grew up <laughs> and intertwined mm-hmm. together. And there's something that I can't imagine my life, even as differently as it's turned out without her. And yet the struggle really is to, to stay emotionally and to be present, um, despite all of the hardship or the the stress or, you know, just wanting to be numb in many ways to the present reality. Um, for all those who have stayed, <laughs> I think that would be my encouragement to be present, to, mm-hmm. to be aware of emotionally, or am I, am I here really? I think you're so right. I, I think inside we have to be present and attentive and that requires vulnerability. And that's our journey with God helping us learn how to be vulnerable to one another because it's risky, right? Yeah. It's risky to stay oh, internally engaged. 
Well, I am so thankful you've been here with me today. In closing, I, we can't leave the story without hearing right. about Sweet John um, because you, you know, they're going to have to get the book to hear all these beautiful details. And you write with such candor and authenticity. Oh, you're so sweet, Jackie. It's it's such a blessing. And yes, maybe John, who turned one years old yesterday. Yes. Crazy blessing. I mean, who would think that me, a fully disabled, um, on Medicare, Medicare, Medicare card carrying member, and <laughs> truly someone who's had eleven surgeries, including a massive stroke and a brain aneurysm, etc., should not get pregnant. And I had this miracle little baby last year. So, um. Yeah, it's just really a joy to have celebrated his first year of life mm. actually yesterday. Love that. And all that you had missed, and, and I know you grieved in not being able to be mommy to James at, you know, from age six months to what was it, two, something like that. And and God is has given you the gift in John as well, with the blessing of James growing and maturing and um just just the beauty that God has brought through tragic moments. And I love also that your ministry called Hope Heals is a ministry to help us find hope even in the everyday because our suffering is present every day at different levels, right? It's, Absolutely. It's, we've not ever arrived. Yes, totally. And we we feel really called to share that message with the world. We we feel, you know, maybe not in these circumstances, but in all different kinds of circumstances, we are called to, as it says in Romans fifteen thirteen, overflow with hope. And we really feel called to spread that that beautiful message of the hope of Christ. And I think just like the story of John, I mean, um, we wrote this book also called Hope Heals, and that's sort of the the spoiler alert at the end is that John kind of brings it all full circle. You know, mm -hmm. this idea that there is new life where there should only be death, and this is the gospel story, and it's embodied in our story, but it's in every story. And so I think part of our ministry, which we're both now in full-time ministry, you know, I was a lawyer by trade, but just God showed us that there was just this unique um, stewardship of the special calling he had in our lives. So we've gotten to to foster that together. And it's been a profound experience to, to really see redemption um, in our tragedy, to see other people connecting the dots that this is not the end of their story. You know, despair is not the end, but that there could be hope through what Jesus has done and is doing and will do in their life as well. And so, yeah, just looking for those new life out of death stories in all mm -hmm. of our lives. You know, we've, we, we just are... <laughs> Um, humble that God would give us this uh, reminder every day in our son, John, of what he is doing, of what he's making new in and through our pain. Um, but, you know, pe there are plenty of people out there still waiting sort of for that right. full circle moment. And yet for those um, beautiful things. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yet there are these little moments yeah, to, to, to remember and to re-narrate really our stories to find the new life out of death. Well, maybe that's where we should end, because I was so moved when I discovered that, Catherine, you had so valued Scripture memory prior to this event happening in your life in April of 2008, before the stroke. 
And um, growing up in the church, um, God's word had meant so much to you, even though maybe you hadn't really realized how profoundly God would use it in your heart. I think sometimes, and and I think that's true with the hymns or whatever it is that um, we learn in the faith, that we don't always fully understand the learning of it at the moment, the profoundness of it. But when it comes to... Um, tragedy or suffering or immense adversity, the Holy Spirit and God himself can bring to our hearts comfort from what it is we've learned and internalized. Can you just tell us, as you continue to connect with God in the way in which you do for those people who are currently facing some mud, currently suffering, I want to read um, the rapid fire uh, download God gave you when you were in a moment of despair from your book on page 164 as we close. But I'd love for you to share with us how um, valuable some tips maybe to stay connected with God even in the suffering, but maybe even prior to the suffering that is to come. Absolutely. I um. Okay, so you're going to read that, but you want me to talk about it first or after? You choose. How about after? Okay, cool. Okay. And I'm just, I'm happy for you to read it, but I, I know you may not have the book in front of you, but I do. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't, but you read it. I love it. I love hearing okay. it. Okay. Well, this is in a moment where you were tempted to fall into that pit of despair. You had come home from Casa Kalina for a Thanksgiving visit. You could hardly hold your head up. You couldn't hold James. You couldn't eat food. You had failed a swallowing test for the umpteenth time. You never knew if there was hope that you even existed. And here is what the Holy Spirit said to you. Catherine, you are not a mistake. I don't make mistakes. I know better than you know. I'm God and you're not. Remember that you were fearfully and wonderfully made in your mother's womb, and that is when the avium formed in your brain. There is purpose in all of this. Just wait, you'll see. There is no replacing you. Jay could never, ever marry a woman as amazing as you. James James could never have a mommy like you. Think about what this will mean for his life. Mommy's stroke will always be a part of his story. That is a gift to him. It will inform his life. Let him consider it pure joy as he grows. All of this will teach him in ways beyond anything you could say or do. Trust me, I am working out everything for your good. Don't doubt this truth just because you are in darkness now. What's true in the light is true in the dark. I know you can't fight this. That doesn't matter. All you have to do is be still and let me fight for you. I will complete the good work I began when I gave you new life. I will carry it on to completion. Believe that. My nature is to redeem and restore and strengthen. This terrible season will come to an end. You will suffer for a little while and then I will carry you out of this. You will see my goodness in the land of the living. Lean into this hope. Let it teach you how special you are. Most people will never go through this kind of hell on earth. I have chosen you. Live a life worthy of this special calling you have received. Yeah. Wow. That's it. What many may not know is that that passage is mostly pure scripture. Yeah, that that's what is so cool is 
so much of that. We think about 15 verses are in there. And and Jackie, for you to know, in the back of the book, you may have already seen it, is all the references in, in that um, particular passage. And even that last that last verse that's in there, the you know, my paraphrase of it, the I'll live a life worthy of the special calling you've received mm-hmm. Ephesians for one. Mm-hmm. Um it is of course all of our charge that we are all supposed to live lives worthy of the special callings that you could say are are stories from the mud or of your mud. And mm-hmm. I um I know for me that the scriptures I had learned throughout my whole life and when I was very young were deeply tucked inside of me so that when I most needed them to, they came out. And Mm -hmm. I didn't even know that I knew all the scripture that I knew. And then almost as an overflow when I most needed it, they were in there swimming around. And I had loved Romans 8 for many years. My mom had taught it to my younger sister who'd had to learn it, blah, blah, blah. And I decided to learn it too, to not be um, outshined. (laughs) So (laughs) honestly, I learned Romans 8 and had no idea that so much of the thinking of Romans 8 would translate to um, my story later in life and how much I would need those truths Mm -hmm. that all things would work together for me, that I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved us, that nothing can separate me from life or death, that all these truths of scripture that I needed would be there and would deeply inform my thinking about my ordeal. Mm which is why God's word is such a gift and why we should be in his word, letting it get into us so that it can minister to our own hearts, right? Absolutely. I've recently had the thought that we must prepare for the pain that's to come. And I think that's true in all of our lives, that we need to be ready and prepare Um in in every way, but most basically, we must prepare by tucking away God's word in our hearts so that when we do have pain, we are ready. We have trained for the trial ahead that we we are we are equipped. I um said recently that this is not a drill was the was what was re- reverberating <laughs> in my head after my stroke that yeah. now I need the stuff my whole life I've been learning here's the moment it came mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. giddy up and <laughs> I think there's so much truth in that that okay there's a reason that I have known Jesus since I was a small child. Now's when all that good old pedal meets the metal. It's time right. to, to go. And I think we all have those moments in our lives where now it's time to use the scripture. We knew from vacation Bible school when we were six years old. That's right. And it's never too late. It's never too late. And absolutely. And maybe that verse you turned to when you were 86 years old and learned for the first time, it doesn't matter at all. Whenever you learn it, let it sit deeply inside you and come out when you need it. That's right. Well, I love that encouragement. I love that you love scripture like you do. And um, may we all 
spend time in God's word that we may be richly blessed internally because of it. And um, I'm so thankful for you. And I have to tell you, your publisher has agreed to give away a copy of your book. Oh, and yay. I'm so excited. So for those of you listening, if you would like to be entered to win a copy of Jay and Catherine's amazing book, all you need to do is get out your cell phone and text the word Hope Heals to the number 33444 and you will be entered to win. I will be it will be my delight to to give that um, on behalf of the publisher and thank you for writing it. Thank you for being here today. Your your story continues to bless each and every one of us. And if they want to continue to connect oh, with yeah, you, yes. So they, where can they continue to connect with you if they want to read updates? Oh, great. Yeah. You can find us um, online. We just we love sort of the redemption of the internet and the potential yes. connectivity it gives us. Um, so we're on a lot of, so, you know, pretty much every social media at Hope Heals, H-O-P-E-H-E-A-L-S and uh, HopeHeals.com is our main ministry site. And then HopeHealsBook.com is another neat resource. We've got um, a free study guide um, that really has been cool to have people go through with their small groups or in church settings. And, and we also have a secondary version of that that is really for a more mainstream book club audience. So we have people oh, inviting their neighbors who maybe they don't go to church or maybe they're way outside right. of their comfort zone, but inviting them to, to read through this book together. Um, so that's a free resource at hopehealsbook.com. That's been really cool. So thanks for I checking love it out. It. Well, I will link to all of that. And um, God go with you in your ministry and just bless you immensely. I'm so thankful for you. Oh, thank you, Jackie. Oh, so this nice was to know so, you, Jackie. so wonderful. You're such an incredible, insightful believer. It's so clear. And we just really loved how you've crafted your thoughts about our story. It's really special to me. Thank you, Catherine. I will maybe some one of these days soon I'll have to give a drive over to LA and come and see you in person. That would we, be a gift. We would love that. Anytime. We're in, we're in Culver City, so come on up. <laughs> okay. for you. Yeah, got chocolate ready for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Perfect. Well, have an amazing week. Um, thanks again for coming on the show. Oh, thank, thank you. you, Jackie. Bye bye. Well, that's all for this episode. Don't you just love them? They're so inspiring, and I'm so thankful for all they shared. Now, you need to know that all the links mentioned in this show, including links to Jay and Catherine's site called Hope Heals, links to their book, and links to the video of Dr. Nestor Gonzalez talking all about his surgery and experience with Jay and Catherine. I encourage you to go over to the show notes page and check that out. Now, I have linked directly to the show notes page under the cover art of this podcast episode. So if you're listening in an app on your mobile device, all you have to do is click on the artwork of this show. And underneath there, you'll see some words and some hyperlinks that you can click through directly to the show notes. Otherwise, you can always go to JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 93 to see all the links and all the information. I'll put some pictures of Jay and Catherine over there, and I would love for you to check that out. And besides, for those of you who may not know, I have a new website design, and there's a new header and a new layout, and it's all fresh and clean and white and beautiful, and I'm still working on tweaking some things, but I'd love to have you pop over and visit there. Also, I am 
am continuing to work on an e-course for you that's entitled Connecting with Your Teen, and I've decided I'm going to be releasing that at the end of July, maybe early August. Watch my website for information on that because I'm going to have a photo up where you can click on that and sign up to get uh, on the email list to get updates. But before that, if you want to just get on the list so that I have your email and I can notify you when that course is coming out, you can always text the words connect with your teen to the number 33444. So again, if you want to be on a list to be the first to be notified about when this course is releasing a course, a video course called Connecting with Your Teen from me to you, you can text the number 33444 with the words connect with your teen. Now also don't forget we're giving away a copy of Jay and Catherine's book Hope Heals. It's amazing, beautiful. Each chapter is written in an alternating fashion. Jay writes one, Catherine writes another, and it's just beautiful. If you want to win a copy of their book, again, all you have to do is text the word Hope Heals to the number 33444 and it will be my delight to send one of you a copy of their book. So I hope you're having an amazing summer. I want you to know I'm sending so much love to you, whatever it is you're facing today, whatever mud you're going through. I hope this episode lifted your spirits and brought you some hope and encouragement. I know that's the heart behind Jay and Catherine and all that they're doing. And we just want you to know no matter what you're facing, you are so, so very loved and you are never, ever alone. Have a beautiful day.